My name is Peter. I was a full-time fisherman and a part-time dock worker once. Some days I think about going back to that kind of work, fishing full-time, but how could fishing, how, how could anything compare to walking with Jesus? As tempting as it is some days, and it is tempting some days, I, I could just never go back to fishing. Just let me tell you about last week. It was an amazing week. They often are when you hang out with Jesus. Just last Thursday, we got into John's 30-foot fishing boat because Jesus had told us that he wanted to cross over to the other side of the sea. There were six of us with him when we started. And when we started out from the dock, I mean, it was just like yesterday here in Erie. It was a perfect day. Okay? It was just a perfect day. In fact, it was a perfect day. The wind was blowing just steady. The sails were full. North by northwest, not snapping, direction just was awesome. I nudged James and I nudged Andrew, pointing over at Jesus that he had fallen asleep between two burlap bags of lentils near the bow of the boat. I mean, we were all pretty tuckered out. We'd been traveling a lot and we were poking gentle fun at Jesus, just yeah, like guys do, you know, stupid guy jokes and stuff. And while we were poking fun at Jesus, the weather went demonic on us. I, I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. I mean, smooth sailing, one minute, and suddenly we had a chop like you would not believe. I mean, sometimes we get a chop on the lake, but I mean, usually it just smooths out again, but not this time. We went from chop to white caps to swells to waves to taking on water in 10 minutes flat. Like out of a blue sky, this nor'easterner came tearing through. And okay, okay. Fishermen, sailors, I mean, we can be very superstitious. But this was spooky. I called it demonic because it had a malice to it, a viciousness that we never, ever see on the ocean here. And suddenly I find myself an experienced fisherman sitting in the middle of the boat, bailing water as fast as I can, trying to keep us from sinking to the bottom of the sea. The wind is howling like 35 screaming banshees. I can't even hear what the other guys on the boat are saying. And the lightning and the thunder. I swear, I could see all the way through John's body. The lightning was so bright and so intense and close. I had purple dots dancing behind my eyes. And this wasn't lightning over in Canada, okay? This was raise the hair on your arms, smell the ozone, wet your robes kind of lightning. And I concluded we had about three more minutes before we were all going to be at the bottom of the sea. I was bailing for all I'd worth. I never had seen a storm like this. I'd never ridden on waves like this. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw James and John shaking Jesus awake. And, and I thought to myself, well, one more person bailing water isn't going to save us today. And Jesus stood up. And with his legs braced far apart for balance, he looked up into the sky. He looked at the storm. He looked right at me. And he began to shout with his arms held open wide and high. At first I thought he was shouting at me, but then it became clear he was shouting at the storm. His arms held high and wide. He lowered them slowly. And the waves began to lower. He told the wind to be still. And it died an instant death. 
crossed about, just barely missing Jesus. If my robes hadn't already been wet, the silence was deafening. The ocean is glass. One minute ago, I was fighting for my life, and now I'm sitting in water in the middle of my boat. More scared than I'd ever been in my life, ever. Because, because he just made it stop. And that scared me more than anything had ever scared me in my entire life. And Jesus stood there. I'm sitting in the boat in the water. And Jesus stood there. Legs braced wide. Arms at his side. And he looked every one of us right in the eye. And he said in a sad, small voice. Where's your trust in me? And he turned around and he walked back to the two bags of lentils and he sat down with his back to us. Andrew asked me, did that really happen? And Dr. Luke answered for me because I still couldn't say anything. Oh, yes, that, that really happened. If I hadn't have seen it with my very own eyes, I don't think I would have believed a single one of you if you'd told me the story. And what were we to do? We put the sails back up. We turned the boat around. Continued on to the other side. And frankly, honestly, just between us this here this morning, if I'd known what was going to happen next, I probably would have jumped out of the boat and swam back home. Okay? Because when we got to the other side of the, of the ocean, Jesus had stood up. He hopped lightly onto the shore when we beached the boat. But there was a naked man waiting for Jesus. And Jesus says to the naked man, I command you to come out from him. We had no idea what was going on, okay? We were dropping the sails, dropping the anchor, securing the boat, while watching this naked man fall down on his knees before Jesus, head in the sand, arms stretched out toward Jesus, and with a loud voice he was saying, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. We were all jumping off the boat, gathering around Jesus in case we could protect him. When Jesus said, what is your name? And the man said, Legion. Now, this dude had a voice that sounded like water burbling, like 120 different voices all talking at the same time. Every word he said was just... I just can't describe it adequately for you. And this man... He continued to babble, begging Jesus not to command them to go into the abyss. The scars on his body were atrocious. Who knows how long he had been tormented by, by being in bondage to legion. And, and I also realized we had an audience to this whole naked man affair. I mean, there were some herders watching a sounder of pigs over here. And, and then there were a few... Shepherds over here watching a few herd of cattle. The naked man with 120 different voices, he asked, he begged for permission to enter the pigs. And Jesus gave him permission. 
And I'm here to tell you, when Jesus gave him permission, the man exploded off the ground about six feet into the air, his body turning, jerking, snapping, spinning in the air like he was caught in a funnel cloud. And then he fell like a rock on the ground. Didn't move at all. It sounded like a bomb went off in the sounder of pigs. They exploded down the hill just to our right, directly into the sea. Hundreds of pigs stepping all over one another. It was like they were trying to swim to the opposite side of the sea that we had just come from. And in amazement, we all stood there and watched the pigs drown. The sea is covered with dead pigs. I heard screaming coming from my left. And I saw the herdsmen running away. I understood. I wanted to scream and run away too. This day had been way too weird. Man on the ground, he's starting to come around. Jesus turned around. He looked at me. He told me to give the man my extra pair of pants and tunic that I had in my satchel. He told John to give the man an extra pair of sandals. Andrew to give him an extra jacket. He told the rest of us to go collect wood to make a fire. And I did what Jesus told me to do. But just between us here today, all I could think about when I was collecting firewood was, why wasn't it the cows that ran down into the water and drowned? Then we could have steak. (sighs) Seriously, I sat there for the next couple of hours listening to Jesus talk to this man. And I listened to this man ask Jesus endless questions. It was astonishing, the depth of the conversation. And as we were sitting there, a group of people came up to the shore where we were circled around the fire. The fire and, and the crowd began to grow. But they all had their attention intensely focused on the man who had been legion. Evidently, he had been a problem in the past. You could smell their fear like the corpse of a dead animal. One of them finally got up the courage to ask what had happened. How was this man, this man sitting here calmly listening to Jesus? Another man I recognized as one of the herdsmen didn't even give the man a chance to explain. He just blurted out all that had happened in those first three minutes when we had arrived on the shore. And instead of calming them down and helping them to relax, the retelling of, that, of those events from, the, from a few hours ago just seemed to increase their fear, their terror. I thought they were going to pick up rocks and start stoning us. They said to Jesus and to us, we want you to go back to wherever you came from. And we did. We got back on the boat. Jesus, very confidently, the rest of us with some great trepidation, but we got back on the boat and we headed back across the sea to Galilee. We arrived about two hours after daybreak, after a fairly peaceful return, thankfully. And there was no place to beach the boat. I mean, it was slammed with people. There was no place to beach the boat. A huge crowd was there waiting for him. As we got in close, Jesus leaped down to the ground. Right into a few military types. They were there, the military types, apparently working for some local guy named Jairus, who I found out later was a ruler. And we finally all got off the boat, standing there behind Jesus. I mean, I'm actually in the water here behind Jesus. This guy, this important dude, Jairus, he had dropped to his knees in front of Jesus. 
He said, Master, sweet Lord, if there's any mercy in you, if there's any compassion in you, I have a 12-year-old daughter. We waited so long to have a child, but she's always been so sick. She's so sick. Will you please, if there's any mercy in you, will you come to our home? If if she dies, my wife will die. I'll lose them both. Please come to my home. Jesus looks Jairus right in the eye and says, we will come. Jairus gathered his guards around him. He started to press through the crowd, yelling for them to move, get out of the way so that Jesus, so that we could follow him. But everybody was trying to reach Jesus. Everyone was shouting at him for some information or for some assistance or about someone who needed his help or some need they had. It was absolute bedlam. It was crazy. I'm starting to feel more like a bodyguard than a fisherman, to be perfectly honest. The six of us had surrounded Jesus closely to protect him. We were trying to protect him from the crush of people while not losing sight of Jairus and the guards who were ahead of us. And, and they were going around, the guards were, and, and Jairus were going around an, uh, an ox cart being pulled by some oxen that was blocking the natural path, and we slowed down to do the same. And, and when we slowed down, Jesus suddenly and completely came to a complete stop. I ran smack into the back of Jesus. He just, he just stopped. And he asked the most ridiculous question. I'd ever heard in my life. Who touched me? We need to get Jesus a hat. He'd been in the sun way too long. Uh, surely I had misunderstood him. I asked him in a loud whisper, uh, Jesus, dude, are, you're surrounded by thousands of people and they're all trying to touch you. Uh, what do you want us to do? But the man just ignored me. I don't even know why I bothered to try and protect him from looking stupid sometimes. Jesus said with calm certainty, someone touched me. I, someone touched me. I felt vital power leave my body. There may have been thousands of people there, but a statement like that, instant silence. And I, I suddenly look over. And there's a little bitty grandma. I thought I met her at the end of the first service this morning. It looked just like her. She's about this tall, gray hair. And, okay. She's bumping my elbow. Was that you? No. Yeah, she's bumping my elbow. And she says, it was me. I mean, she's obviously terrified. And in a small, trembling voice, she explained that she'd been sick her whole life. She'd been to every doctor in the world. None of them could heal her. She was dying from the sickness. And when she had touched Jesus, she had been instantly healed. Silence reigned. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your trust has made you well. Go in peace. And there was another pregnant moment of silence. And then it was like a huge surge of energy throughout the entire crowd as they all lunged toward Jesus trying to touch him now. I mean, it happened to Granny, right? It can happen to me. I mean, I got to touch Jesus. It was ten times worse than before. 
I mean, and I'm starting to get really hot and angry here. Okay, in the last 36 hours, I've almost been struck by lightning. I had lightning almost tear my body in half. I almost drowned out in the ocean. I almost got run over by a sounder of pigs. I mean, non-kosher, dirty animals. Is there a worse way to die? And I mean, and then I had a crowd of people want to stone me. And now I'm about to be trampled by a bunch of grandmas all trying to touch Jesus. I just wanted to pick them up by their girdles and throw them back in the ocean. In the name of Jesus, of course. (laughs) But there's this commotion over here that prevented me from taking violent action. A commotion that captured everybody's attention. Men on horses pushing into the crowd, coming right for Jairus and his soldiers. The man in the lead reached Jesus. Big Roman dude. He said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus just wilted on the spot. You could just see him collapse in on himself. Jesus slid up next to him and said, Don't be afraid. Only trust and she will be well. Jairus looks at the dude on the horse. Somebody he obviously knew well and trusted. Long history with this guy. He looks at Jesus. Looks at the guy on the horse. Looks at Jesus. Wonder what choice I would have made that day. He looks at Jesus. Slowly shakes his head. Yes. It took us about three hours to get to Jairus' house, but man, we could hear them folks long before we could actually see them. They were cutting up a ruckus, I'm here to tell you. These professional mourners were already outside the home. They were weeping and crying like the whole village had died. They actually tried to prevent us from coming in and interrupting the mourning process. The professionals were making fun of us and shouting derisive taunts, and calling Jesus a charlatan, accusing us of playing on the emotions of the family. The girl was long dead, they said. Jesus and Jairus did the eye thing again. Jairus nodded once more. We walked into the house. The six of us, Jairus, his wife, Jesus, James, John, and me, we went into the little girl's room. She was not breathing. She had a waxy, bluish color to her skin. A sob tore through the mom. I know, I wanted to cry too. She's such a beautiful child, so tiny. Clearly had been sick a long time, very emaciated. But Jesus, Jesus acted like nothing was wrong. He had a little smile on the corner of his face. He had his head sort of cocked to the side and his eyes closed like he was listening to a conversation that none of the rest of us could hear and a little smile on his face. Wanted to smack him. Jesus opened his eyes, took that icy cold hand of that little girl and said, rise and shine. I know you're tired of hearing me talk. 
And I know I'm tired of having lived through this, okay? Let me tell you what happened. It wrecked me. It just destroyed me. He told that little girl to rise and shine. And there was like a power surge in that small little crowded room with the seven of us. It was like the whole room got brighter. It was like another one of those lightning bolts were going to flash right across in front of Jesus. And right before our eyes, the little hand that Jesus is holding in his hand, there was natural and normal color returning to her hand and just coming right up, right up her arm. And then I almost wet my pants again when she bolted up right in the bed. Scared us all spitless. I mean, we fell all over each other in the room. And mom just launches herself at her baby sobbing. I couldn't tell where the little girl started and Jesus ended. And Jesus looks up and smiles again and says, let's... Let's get her something to eat. Oh. After all these things happened, I had to take a few days off. I got a fishing pole, sleeping bag, some food and drink. Because I just needed some time to process what had happened, what I'd seen and experienced. I, I didn't go fishing in my boat. I'm a little wary of boats right now. But I fished from the bank for a few days. I don't know how long. I lost track of time. But the conclusion I came to is this. And I want to share this with you this morning. Jesus has power and authority over the natural elements. Jesus has power and authority over the good and the demonic spirits. Jesus has the power to heal the physical body. Bodies that no doctor in the world can heal. Jesus has power over death. I just can't quite get over that little smile tucking at his lips when he told that girl to rise and shine. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. He is exactly what those 120 voices called him. He is Jesus, son of the most high God. And he rules and he reigns today to have a relationship with you, to have a relationship with me, not to just be a device to fix all our problems. Remember how many times he asks us, do you trust me? Why don't you trust me? Trust, 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 trust. That's a relationship question. So no, I can't go back to being only a fisherman or a dock worker. Though I still do that sometimes to make a bit of money. I told you these first-hand experiences I had with Jesus in those two days. How can I go back to fishing? How can you only be a banker? How can you only be an engineer? How can you only be a doctor or only a mother or a teacher or a politician or a business or a student? How can we live for ourselves and our small worlds when we have someone like this to follow?